Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Animales humanos, animales humanos, animales, animales, animales humanos. Freedom of Species is a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. It's broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia, and streamed live via the 3CR website. Podcasts are available via the 3CR and Freedom of Species websites and via iTunes. Good afternoon, I'm Kate Gracie, and you're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio 855am. I'm in the studio today with Andy Medic of the Animal Justice Party and Carolyn Hartley of Melbourne CowSafe. Welcome, lovely people. Thank you. Hi. Great to be here. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you so much for coming in today. Now, today we're going to talk about cattle. And to be precise, we're going to talk about live cattle export and about professional bull riding. And, oh, there's that elephant in the room. That elephant in the room is Andy's stunning performance in the uh, recent Victorian state elections. And we will talk about that yes. a little bit later on. So first, let's let's talk about the live cattle export protests that occurred very recently, just in November, in Geelong. Can you give us some background, Andy, on those, on what those protests were, um, what they were protesting about? Sure. So initially, um, we received a, a tip off because you have to remember that the AJP is is uh, despite the fact that we're a political party, we are founded on the basis of, you know, all of our members coming from animal rights perspective, you know, and, and protest is very key to what we do. And and so we were informed um, by uh, a, a sympathetic member of the MUA, which for the listeners, if they don't know, is the Maritime Union of Australia, that there was a ship uh, called the Ocean Drover, which is a large ship which was being loaded in Geelong. Now, initially, they uh, told us that that was going to have uh, be full of dairy cattle that were going to China. Uh, this information turned out to be incorrect um, because the information given to the MUA was incorrect. So, what eventually? Deliberately? Oh, well, it's possible that there was deliberate. Yeah, they're, they're, as we go through what what the, the, what we knew and what we found out in the end, we we see that there's been a large amount of misinformation coming from various authorities surrounding the shipment. Right. The end result was that what we actually found out was that this was a shipment of of animals that were going to Russia via Fremantle. Five thousand of those were dairy, and the ten thousand were steers. Now the the ship has a capacity. And when you say steers, they're for slaughter. That's right. Yep. Yeah. The ship has a capacity for a top load of 18,000. It's never actually done that because it's been mechanically unreliable. It's been in for repairs many, many times over the years. And some listeners may remember this is the ship that was actually birthed in Fremantle and while there were no live animals on board, it caught fire. And How long ago was that? Oh, that was a good... I think that was last year. Okay. So it's a, it's a ship that has a history... Of, of problems 
and it was purpose-built as a livestock carrier in 2002 by Willards. But So what's that, a 16 years old? Yes. Okay. So they believe, and, and, and certainly recent um, uh, maintenance history that's, that's catalogued that, you, that is – you know, that we have been able to find out. Most of the mechanical problems of late have been relatively minor when you look at it in terms of, of a piece of machinery um, and they believe that they're on top of them and they've, they've got that well under control and that's why the ship is now up for sale. Ah. Mm. Is, surely no one's interested to buy this horrible, horrible... This ship with this horrible reputation of incidents. Well, absolutely, and, and it's... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> We would hope that no one buys it anywhere, but and not just for the reasons of surrounding well, it, but yeah, but, but for the initial you know, problem with it. But um, look, it's a funny the perspectives that you get as well because when, when you look at it, the public percep- perception of this ship is that it is a problem, but the industry's perspective is that no, this is quite a reliable ship. And you know, in terms of when, you know, is it, it one of the busiest ships? It is quite busy. Yes, it, it normally does what we would term the, the, the Southeast Asian run. Right. Um, but occasionally, it has been drafted in for these other voyages over to Russia. So okay. Yeah. So can you can you give us some background about this this pro this particular protest that took place at the um, is it the Corio Dock? Yeah, Corio Key. Corio Key. Can yeah. you give us some some background of? what that protest was doing and what it was hoping to achieve? Well, we, we don't see a, a lot of, of live animal export out of Geelong. And, the, again, public perception was and uh, that this doesn't happen there anymore because most of what leaves Victoria, most of the animals that are exported out of Victoria leave from Portland, which is well documented as a port of extraction for live animal export. So the local community was quite shocked to be suddenly informed that here is a ship that's loading out of the port of Geelong. This, yeah, to them, of, this was unbelievable. Sort of your own back, back door. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the actual dock itself is not half a kilometre away from housing. And so people were complaining about the smell. Could you, could you smell it? Oh, absolutely. You could smell it from the outskirts of the city of Geelong on of, its most northern outskirts. You're talking about the manure, just... Absolutely. Yeah, right. Yep. Right. And so... What kind of response did you get? What kind of support did you then get from the from the Geelong public and the media? By and large, from the Geelong public, the overwhelming response was in, in favour of what we were doing. Yeah, right. Because the, the people were genuinely shocked, as I say, that this was carrying on in their own backyard. And there are obviously always those that, you know, once they see... There are those that people who oppose animal rights and they oppose what we're doing from a political perspective. And those were the voices that were the loudest, if you like, but on social media. But if you look at in terms of what they were posting, what they were saying in comparison to those that were on our side of the camp, as it were, those voices were minuscule by comparison. Yeah, right. But getting media on board, very difficult. Very difficult. Why, we had much more that? support. Well, I'm not sure. Vested interests. Look, you might that, that's perhaps that might yeah. be the case, but because Geelong is a part of what is termed the Western Region of Victoria, which is traditionally has a lot of live export animals, but and is an animal agriculture area. But yeah. but Geelong is no longer that that might have been in the past. Mm. Geelong can no longer be considered part of that. Mm. Right, that might be its history, mm. but it hasn't been a part of that for a long, long time. This is Victoria's second largest city. It has the largest growth rate of any regional city in Australia. Really? It is a multicultural, multidiverse city 
it is nothing like it used to be. Yeah, right. Okay. So tell me, so you're saying that the, the, the public was supportive of what you were of what the protesters were trying to achieve? What what was it that the protests were trying to achieve? I mean, did you think you were going to stop the ship or were you awareness raising or what was it that you were – what was the objective? Well, awareness raising because the end goal, of course, is to ban live exports completely from Australia, from, from every single port, mm-hmm. from every single type of animal in all times of year because the big talk has been politically, specifically in Canberra, and it seems to be something that the media have latched onto, that there seems to be some – yeah, there's a lot of support for just banning live sheep exports and only in the summer months. Right? So everyone seems to think, oh, well, if we do that, then the battle is won. You know, but this is public perception. Again, they think that... Uh, that and, and this is a, uh, a narrative or a propaganda campaign, if you like, that the industry itself can latch on to to a certain degree because then they can say, well... Look at what we're doing. You know, we, we do care about these animals yeah. and we, we recognise this is a problem, so we're stopping it and aren't we wonderful? But as we all know, the problem is far deeper and far broader than that. Yeah. So do you, do you regard your objectives were met with this, with this protest at Karaoke? Absolutely. The, the, the public support and the outrage has been rekindled because some years ago when we had you know a bloody business from four corners come on mm. the, the the outrage from the community was was very palpable mm. and enormous mm. and in the meantime part of that has dropped off because it hasn't been kept in the public arena now that outrage is, is it's not confected outrage it's genuine that has come back to the fore and consequently we're starting to see a resurgence in that you know that support for a, a complete ban of live export from Australia. That's great. That's great. Then if mm. you've achieved that objective, that's mm. fantastic. Now, what are the conditions of the the voyage that the catalyst subjected to? Well, initially, so we can talk about from the loading process. Yep. So loading isn't a quick process by any stretch of the imagination. It takes days. Right. So when you talk in terms of a purpose-built ship where you have many decks that are open to the elements. They're barred so that the animals can't fall overboard, but those decks are open to the elements. So they're loaded on these ships, the lower decks first. So as they continue to load upwards, those unfortunate animals that are on the lower decks are already being covered in feces and urine. Oh, well, they're standing on grates. Yes. Is it not... It's not fully. It's not no. covered flooring. It's, no, it's, it's not. grated flooring. Yes, it is. Oh, so that the cattle at the bottom mm-hmm. could be pooed on by a steer that's eight decks up. Absolutely. Wow. And 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 you can look at any website, and particular Animals Australia's website is a very good resource to have a look at, where they have photos that have been taken by people who have been on board that have been smuggled out, basically. And you can see the conditions that these animals are in. And this is occurring before they even leave the port. Right. So then we move into that, that journey. Mm-hmm. And, well, yeah. let, let's start with the weather. You're at the vagaries of the weather. Um, and, and when you're talking about um, when you're shipping animals, particularly in the winter months, let's talk about that mm-hmm. as, as one season. We can pick mm-hmm. on that. Winter is the worst time for a ship to be moving through the Southern Ocean and the Great Australian Bight if you're talking about a trip that's going to Fremantle in Russia. You have the Southern Ocean swells that come up during the winter. They are enormous. Mm. They are absolutely enormous. And I'm talking from the perspective of a person who's lived on the surf coast for 29 years who (laughs) surfs. You wait for winter because they are the greatest swells. Right, they're the best surfing conditions, but they are the most atrocious conditions Mm. for these animals. Yeah, it's the Southern Ocean. That's the I think that's known as the Ocean with the highest average 
Absolutely. wave height yep. in, of any ocean on the world, yeah. in the world. Yeah. So you can imagine these poor animals trapped in these cramped conditions, mm. enduring all of this horrendous, you know... Are they packed so tightly that they're actually supporting each other? Are well, they holding each other up, To a certain degree, yeah. Yeah, because they have to have a certain amount of movement under the regulations, and I'm unsure how much movement they're saying, but they have to have a certain amount of movement under the regulations. But for safety's sake, from, from their perspective, is actually, and it's an obscure thing, but it, they have to be reasonably tightly packed because otherwise they will slam into each other yeah, and God. the risk of injury or death is much higher. Yeah, yeah. So then, then they get Then how to, do they get to the feed trough or the water trough when they're, if they're all that, that packed? <laughs> ah, there lies the question, I see, yeah. by the look on your face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. This right. is consequently why... Now the... Now the parts of the puzzle are coming together yeah Mm. and this is consequently why when we talk in this industry talking from a standpoint let's talk from a starting point its starting point is that is an industry that goes all right we want to ship live animals out of australia how many are we prepared to have die Mm. that's it yeah right that's where we start from so if you're Mm. doing that Mm. you have no moral justification Mm. at all yeah so let's let's continue on our journey. Mm. So they're they're being flung around the deck yep. by high waves. Yeah. So then they get to say Fremantle, yep. where they'll perhaps take on more animals, but yep. certainly more feed and more fuel. Yeah. Um, for the journey, and then they traverse the Indian Ocean, which also isn't known, you know, for anything fantastic in the way of weather, um, because we also have a situation. Let's move on to say summer months. When traditionally, say, off the coast of Western Australia, we begin to see cyclones form. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that around Broome, around yeah. Port Hedland. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So you are out at sea, but yeah. that's where these storms form. Yeah. You know, that we, we always tend to think of, of cyclonic depressions in the way that went what they actually achieve when they hit land. Mm. But these, uh, you know, they're mm. far worse when they're actually out in the ocean. They're at their height, mm. you know. They're, they're in the point where they're about to dissipate once they make landfall. So we have all those situations. But let's say they have a nice calm trip going up through the Indian Ocean. Then we begin to get closer to the equator. Okay, so the temperatures begin to rise. So then we start to see deaths on board from overheating, from them not being again able because of the cramped conditions, not being able to, to get to, to water and feed mm. properly. And, and we start to see that occurring, you know. And, and then we... Are we, there any... I mean, obviously, it's an, it's an open-sided ship. Yeah. So there's... There's some kind of ventilation, like air movement. Is there any? Is there any artificial ve- ventilation? No. Provided? No. Okay. No. They rely so because they're open-sided ships. What they do is they look at. Um, uh, they say, well, it's an open-sided ship, so it's open to the air, so you do get wind movement, which carries away any of the smell. But like you know, if you're, I suppose I don't want to use the word lucky, but if you're one of the the animals that is actually right on the edge there, then okay, sure, you might be able to hang your head out the side and breathe some sort of fresh air. But but you know, but the, you're also, you're also going to get pounded by the storms absolutely. when you're on, when you're on the edge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There is nothing about any position on that ship that, that might suggest that. Yeah, you know, this one might be all right. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so so then they get to their destination. Mm-hmm. So th- there's we've kind of covered the journey. I to I a certain guess. degree, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they get to their destination. They're offloaded mm-hmm. in Russia. Mm-hmm. What happens then? 
Well, the cows on this particular shipment, for instance, that were due for dairy will go off and live their lives on a perhaps an intense dairy farm because... Um, like a shedded a, Yeah, a shedded possibly. We, yeah. We, we can't know. Yeah, okay. Right, because Department of Agriculture is certainly never going to tell you the details of the contract involved in that shipment. Of course. The only thing that we do know is that the steers that were on board, for instance, the 10,000 steers that were due for slaughter, um, will face a horrendous death as they do in any other slaughterhouse and... and that's also reprehensible. Do um, in Russia is there some kind of um, uh, effective regulatory supervision in slaughterhouses? It's very difficult to get any information out of the Russian authorities as to what they do. The Australian authorities, the Department of Agriculture, will tell you that everyone involved in a contract is reliant upon the SCAS system, which is the the what system? SCAS, the escort, uh, the export supply chain. Right. Um, uh, I think of the words. I'm sorry, it's lost me. Now I had it before, but That's it's right. gone off the tip of my tongue. But um, yeah, they, they they say that they have to you know, comply with that system, and we know that which, SCAS, which is, is a what they system. said about Indonesia, didn't absolutely they? Right. Yeah, everywhere, like, like, everywhere, like please, yeah, ab- absolutely <laughs> everywhere, and yeah. and we know because yeah. we from time to time. People, um, very, very brave people who put their necks on the line, who are whistleblowers, pop up in various ports, receiving ports around the world, who show us footage of what is actually happening. And SCAS is a failed system because it is industry regulated from Australia. Yes, it has government oversight, but it is the industry itself that Mm. governs. And every time you put an industry in charge of itself, it is a recipe for failure because they're not interested in actually doing anything correctly, they're interested in maximising profits. Yeah, right. So so the cattle get to, to Russia and mm. their, their slaughter is as, as, I don't know, as appalling as anywhere. Absolutely. There's nothing to be, there's nothing good to be said about slaughter anywhere no. under mm. any, no. under any system. But, no. um, okay, wow. And, oh, so did, did you get support from... Vale, that's a what are they called? Vets against live export. Are they were they supportive in your protest? Um, well, we didn't contact them directly, but there were um, for, from various members of, of Vale that um, that we've had sort of contact with via Facebook and Messenger. You know, over over the years, um, we got several messages of support from them on the online posts that we were stating as well, and also from. Um, uh, the Townsville group as well that are against live export as well. They send us several messages of encouragement too. Right. Why Townsville? Because that's also a port of extraction. Okay. Yeah. Right. Because there's only, from my understanding, there's only about, what, maybe 10 ports around Australia that's that are right, ports yeah. of extraction? Yeah. Because there's not many of them. There's a number of criteria that they have to be able to meet. From a physical, geographical perspective, they have to be um, somewhere that you can uh, you can ship animals to via land without enforcing too much of a greater distance because you have to remember that these people make their money from the animals being in so-called prime condition so what they'll do is they ship them to a port that has access to stock feed yards right to stockyards yeah so the feedlots in other words so that they can fatten them up if you like for the journey and there are also quarantine rules right so they are in quarantine for that period of time so is this is this the case at Kuroki? They have these facilities? No, they don't. So what happens there? You're giving me a funny look. Like this. Yeah. Well, this what is the thing, there? you see. It, yeah. There were two shipments actually due out of Portland, one of which was the dairy shipment to China and the other one was this shipment that was going to Russia. And what ended up coming to Geelong was actually the, the overs of what was going to Russia because ships 
had become unavailable and new ships had become available, they weren't the size they needed. So that's why the reason the drover was brought into Geelong and they couldn't get them loaded in the time they needed to get them out of Portland in the time frame that they had. So these, these animals, had, having made the trip to Portland, um, were then shipped back onto trucks and back up to Geelong. Oh. And then to top up, they came from places like Daniloquin as well. Wow, wow. which is a long way. Mm-hmm. So they've just had this brutal journey from Daniloquin. Yeah. Then they're loaded onto this yeah. ship from hell. So talk, talk, talk to me about Portland because there was also this recent live cattle export ship turned around at Portland mm. um, with a lot of – I saw footage of some very um, dramatic rocking mm-hmm. of a ship going on. When I heard about it, I was like, ah, oh, it's a little bit of a rocking. And then I saw the footage. I was like, wow, that it was ship, dramatic. This it was, looks yeah. like it's about to tip over. It, does. it was. Can you, tell, can you tell us about that incident? Okay, well, this is the, the, the Jawan. The Jawan, okay. okay. Yeah. This is not a purpose-built ship. It's a converted container ship. So it, it, it's – it basically has undergone an internal fit-out to fit in these types of decks that are needed for, for live export. But the basic construction of the ship itself, so the hull structure, the shape of that hull, it's not been designed to take this type of shipment initially. Okay. Yeah, look, I'm not a marine engineer, but I could already see that there would be some very different design criteria yep. mm. for a container, yep. the distribution of weight of containers and mm-hmm. distribution of weight of live animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and speaking to people that uh, are merchant seamen, they tell me that this was this is always going to happen yeah. because of that very factor. Mm. They even say that, like you know, because container ships also become unstable in bad seas, and they do lose containers overboard. Mm. Yes, right. Yes. So they have yes. a tendency that, that, that the whole way that they are set up is that they have this system where yes, they will in bad weather they'll 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 lee a bit to one side to roll with. The, mm. with the waves and then they, they have this self-writing mm. sort of scenario in the design and, and that's what you've seen there but we're also I'm, I'm investigating this a lot further because I've also had someone come back and tell me that it's quite possible that, that the ship was initially allowed to leave with these animals being top loaded on the top decks because they might have wanted to put other animals in underneath at, at a different port and also that the ship didn't carry enough ballast to keep it stable at the base. That sounds insane. It does, but there's also a possibility that this is mechanical. All right? So there's any number of these factors. This is, and this is the problem. So we don't know because the industry, it, it, it releases things in, in sometimes to deliberately spread misinformation, but other times it just tightens right up and government tightens right up. There is, the ship is under investigation because it tried to leave not once but twice and experienced the same problems. Both times the pilot made the call to say this is absolutely inherently dangerous. We are taking this ship back to port and that's exactly what happened. Those animals have been offloaded. I'm unsure as to whether they're being shipped somewhere else to go on another boat. Mm. But that ship is now impounded and it is under investigation as to why this occurred. How long that will take and whether we will actually ever be told the reasons why is unsure. But I would like to say that I find, and, and, and because of the position that I hold at the moment, I was contacted by um, one of the local papers down that way, the Warnable Times, or sorry, the Standard, and they asked me what I thought about that. And I gave them quite a long interview about it. And I, the, one of the main points I wanted to make was that as soon as this happened, our so-called Minister for Agriculture, David Littleproud, 
said nothing. Mm. He has said absolutely not one single word. The minute that this occurred, the minute that this footage became available on social media, he is the responsible minister. He should have been on the front foot. He should have been at least releasing a press statement saying, I, as the minister, am going to personally look into this to find out what happened. I'm going to exhaust all possible availabilities and resources to get this investigation underway within the next 24 hours. It didn't happen. And he was basically, there was, we waited and waited and waited, and it was over a week until he actually made a statement saying, yes, it's being investigated. A very bland, very vanilla statement saying, yes, it's now under investigation. Appalling behaviour. What about the cattle that were on the ship that, as it was rocking? Is, is there any information about the state of those, that, those animals? Because I'd imagine that there would have been animals injured this, careering around a deck. Mm. Yep. Would have been slick mm. with manure. Absolutely. Like, mm. how are those? Unsure. Again, you're only allowed to, you can only comment on what the information is available. And this is the thing the very first statement that came out of the port was that no animals were injured in the initial rolling. And then. I find that hard to believe. Extremely. By the look of, of well, then they came out and they said, oh, one animal. <laughs> okay, so you've lied to begin with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You cannot be trusted to say there yeah. is only one animal. For all we know, hundreds. It would look like it. That was and severe rocking. That was severe rocking. It looked like it was about to capsize. Absolutely. So at the very least, there is significant jostling amongst those animals. At the very least. You'd mm-hmm. hope that that's the one time you'd hope that they were packed really tightly mm-hmm. in order to mm. hold each other up because that, really, that looked really dramatic. Mm-hmm. Now, that response from the Australian Marine Safety Authority, that mm. sounds like, you know, the fact that they detained that ship and have impounded it, that sounds like it's doing its its job well, the AMSA. Is, do you think it is doing its job well? Well, possibly. It, again, it's hard to say because they, they won't release information mm. along the way. Yeah. And, and again, AMSA are a part of this system. Okay, that they're, 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 mm, yes. from the outside, it looks like they're there to um, be an independent body, um, but they're not. They're, they're, mm. They come under the auspices of the Department of Agriculture still. Oh, do they're, they? They're right. part of this whole system. Right, they're reporting back to the Department of Agriculture in this investigation. Right. right. So we, we wait to see. Yeah, okay. Now, I read about another ship recently. Um, it was a ship that went to Israel, and it had something like... Uh, 1,300 head of sheep and cattle on board. Mm-hmm. And it was reported that um, at the, by, by the time it's reached its destination, 19, there'd been 19 deaths on board. Um, I think it was like 18 sheep and one, one cow mm-hmm. had, had died. And that is well below its 1% mortality threshold. So it was deemed by the authorities as a very successful journey. That was fan- that, that, there you go, that's great. How do you respond to that? I don't believe them. You don't believe the mortality rate? No, I, I just don't believe them because we have seen over the years there's a history here of the industry and the department of, of misinformation, of not telling the truth. And again, we continually see footage that has been snuck out by people on board, undercover, and not undercover investigators, but people on board. And there was the case recently of that chap who, who, who released some of the information, you know, it was on the ship, and he put his own life on the line, basically. I can't remember the chap's name now. And showing them throwing the animals overboard that were dead, right? Now, why would you do that? Because the numbers aren't then collated until, you know, you get to the end of the port, you know, when they produce it. Mm. You know, they don't, they don't turn around and go, okay, well, okay, here's all the dead mm. animals, and look, there's 20. 
and go, yep, there we go, that's successful. For all we know, 100 were thrown overboard Mm. So to falsify those figures. And again, and this is the problem, Mm. the industry is shrouded in secrecy. What about these independent observers that are supposedly on... Well, there aren't any. There just aren't. You Um, know that for a fact. Well, I've never heard of an independent observer being actually allowed on board. They they do have vets, certainly. Who are employed. Who are employed by the Department of Agriculture. Right. Okay. Again, no disrespect to the person themselves. Yeah. But whatever information that they feed back to the Department of Agriculture is not necessarily how the statement comes out. Lynn Simpson is a classic example. Lynn Simpson was the vet that exposed all of these lies and all of this falsification on board ship. She was a vet on board ship for several journeys throughout Southeast Asia and throughout the Middle East Right on those journeys. She reported back to the Department of Agriculture, to the industry. She was sacked for reporting the truth. And her career was basically, well, almost ruined, you might say. Mm. Now, Lynn, you know, we invited her to speak at the live export rally that we held in Melbourne, and unfortunately she was rather ill at the time. But she was vilified yeah, right. by the industry. And that is the situation that these people are placed in. If they value their career, if they value their lives even to a certain degree, mm. what happens to them in their private life, then they will do, they tow the industry line. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's the unfortunate thing. Andrew Wilkie, the independent senator from Tasmania, yeah. has offered, I can't, I've lost count of how many times he's offered to go actually go on as an independent observer, as a parliamentarian mm. on these journeys. And the industry and government refuses to allow him on. You don't refuse to allow a government, an, an MP, mm. to be an independent observer if you don't have anything to hide. Now, I can't recall the figures off the top of my head, but it's often reported from from the authorities and all the the people in the know that chilled meat export would be far more profitable than live export. So why is there still this resistance to stopping this highly problematic and contentious industry of live export in favour of chilled, chilled meat export, which most people are behind? Well, we involved ourselves in the live export trade simply because there was money to be made. There's money to be made in vast amounts by some of the farmers that are involved in the trade and they saw it as being, they were sold this industry as this is a way for you to make more money because you're not, you're, the, your profit margin is not being reduced by you know, a price that's being paid by um, a, a processor here in Australia which has other involvements as well which are, and, and financial obligations. It has employees, it has all of the taxation, it has everything involved mm. onshore, right? That, that's what they're involved with. So they were sold this as a ways and means to increase their profits because they're eliminating the middleman, as it were. Okay, and, and that's it. And then the live exporters themselves make a vast amount of money out of it, those who hold the licences to export the animals. And that's wholly and solely what it's all about. They are fighting it because there is money involved for them. When you speak to other communities, and, and from a vegan perspective, I don't want to see any animals slaughtered anywhere. But the New Zealand experience is what we... That's the model that we can only look to to see what happens. And they experienced a massive increase exporting chilled meat to the same countries mm. that they were exporting yeah, right. li- live animals to. Yep. So when they sit around, when the Australian government or the, and the industry turn around and say, no, it'll mean a mass a, a loss of, of income, it'll loss here, here and there, that's completely incorrect. The Australian, There's nothing to suggest that Australia won't go through exactly the same situation. Yeah, right. Now, 
you you did mention earlier that that Four Corners episode about live export, mm. a bloody business, mm. and that went to air oh, about I think it was about seven years ago. Mm. Yeah, and it had this huge, huge, huge impact right across Australia, massive impact, and everybody was completely outraged. But now we've gone back to business as usual, mm-hmm. and for all intents and purposes, nothing's changed. What happened? Why why are we back? Why are we back here doing the same thing that we were doing prior mm. to a bloody business? You can hypothesise about that all you like, but I tend to think it's because we live in such a media-driven age at this point in time, not just mainstream media, but you know, social media, etc., that if it's not in your face, you must think that it has been taken care of. Oh, yeah, yeah, that it's been resolved. We haven't heard anything about it, so it must be resolved. Now. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So the public then moves on yeah. to whatever issue else might occupy you know, yeah. that, that, that media space. Yeah, okay. So what do we need to do to revive that public outrage? We need to keep it in the media. We need to Doing make what it, you guys do. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But, but not just that. We need to make sure that the political pressure is kept up. Mm. You know, it, it, we can't let this opportunity pass with a federal election coming up. This is the ideal situation to knock this trade on the head for good. Now, whether that's um, a, a phase-out, over a few years with transition packages for farmers that are involved in the trade to move into other areas, or whether it is a complete ban, that remains to be seen. But the public of Australia want it gone. That much is clear. Mm-hmm. If, if it was a non-issue after that sort of drop-off in interest, then they wouldn't have been so easily roused by what we've been able to, you know, to, to make public from, from Geelong and Portland. Right? The outrage is all over Australia and it's overseas, everywhere. You know, and 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 it's it's been rekindled, and we need to carry that through, because we do have a federal government that is committed to live export, and that much is evident from um, when we had this this continual sort of like you know musical chairs of of leaders of the of, of the Liberal Party and and consequently prime ministers, um, you know we we had Susan Lay. Uh, former health minister pop up and say, well, I'm going to introduce a bill to ban live export, despite the fact that we've had several bills to ban live export into through through the Senate over the years, one of which was done by Darren Hinch not too long ago. But the Greens have had them in there for a while and nothing has been done about it. They've introduced these private members' bills and they've just been shoveled to the bottom mm-hmm. of the pile, never to be brought forward because they're not in the government interest. And they set the order of business. And then so what happened is that you have Susan Lay pop up who'd been relegated to the backbench um, under you know Tony Abbott's wonderful you know w- women filled front benches that were you know and you know sarcastically he said um, and so she pops up and gains the support of Sarah Henderson who decide that they're going to put together a bill and put that forward to ban live sheep exports in summer and then miraculously there's thirty pieces of silver silver dangled in front of them Susan is under Scott Morrison is you know brought back to the front bench. And Sarah Henderson's given a junior ministry to look after, and the problem goes away. It's but it, appalling. Yeah, but it doesn't. No. Mm. On that note, let's have a break with a song, and we'll come back and we'll talk about professional bull riding, another uh, another cattle exploitation. So I've got uh, I've got a song for you. It's Higher Higher by Dakota Ring. You're listening to Freedom of Species and we've been talking to Andy Medic of 
the Animal Justice Party and Carolyn Hartley of um, Melbourne CalSafe. We've been talking about live export, particularly out of Victoria. Well, we're going to move on and talk about um, professional bull riding. So there was a recent... So yesterday, I think, we, mm-hmm. had a, we had a big bull riding event at the Melbourne... What is it called? Melbourne, Melbourne Arena. Arena. Melbourne mm-hmm. Arena. Um, can you, Caroline, perhaps, can you tell us about what professional bull riding is, what it entails? Sure. Sure. So the organisation that ran the event last night are called uh, PBR Australia, and they're an offshoot of PBR uh, International or Worldwide Professional Bull Riding, which has a 24-year history. So they've been operating in Australia since 2006, and really what the professional bull riding events entails are a very short, often eight to ten second ride of the rider on a bull that is actually uh, pushed through a gate bucking and trying to remove the rider from its back so so that's the focus um, it's, it's a, a bucking event if you like so it's that classic event you've, we've seen over the ages that image of a, of a cowboy on the Absolutely. back of a bull Absolutely. Holding on for dear life. Mm-hmm. That's and, right. and that's all it is. The whole event is just dedicated that's to that. Right. There's that's no, right. There's no other, um, you know, the calf roping and um, horse riding. There's nothing They don't like do that. that in Victoria. Okay. So this particular organisation just focuses on the bucking event and they advertise it as a three-hour spectacular with lots of instant replays and pyrotechnics and music and flashing lights. Right. Um, and, and that's the focus. Well, it's, I mean, it sounds to me like it's something from Texas. So I'm wondering, how does it, how's it made its way into inner-city, latte-loving Melbourne? It seems like worlds collide. How, how does Kate, it make its way that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> that's the million-dollar question. I, I honestly can't answer that. Um, it's something that, yeah, we, we might see in more sort of regional areas or expect um, expect there. I do know that um, the same organisation ran ran an event last year, so it is a surprise uh, that this is being hosted in Melbourne. Does it is it getting is it getting the turnouts that they're expecting? Well, I might throw to Andy on that because I actually wasn't at the um, protest last year, so I'm not sure in comparison numbers. I think uh, last attendees. year. Yeah, I, I think last year, the, the, from from memory, the venue has a capacity of around 10,000 people. That's right. But that may well be in the configuration or concert configuration where you've got people on the floor. Yeah, right. I would assume, that because when we talk in terms of Rod Laver Arena, for instance, that has a capacity of 15,000, but that is in con- concert configuration. Yep. It's significantly less than that when you're talking in tennis configuration. And and this, this arena, Melbourne Arena, which was formerly known as High Sense Arena, is primarily it was put up as a dual basketball and tennis Mm. Right, so it has a much much reduced capacity if it's not in concert. Right, so and bearing in mind then that there's an arena set up on the floor for this to take mm-hmm. place. So last year, I believe it would have been reasonably close to capacity for that that ring seating. Yep. Yep. Um, this year, from for what we were able to observe, significantly lower numbers than last year. But in terms of why it's being held in Melbourne, this is a very very expensive event to put on. The, the people that they bring out, these professional bull riders that they bring out from the United States, back home they are in, in, you know, in amongst the people that follow this. They are like rock stars. They are paid extremely well, and I mean extremely well. 
they are sponsored by all different organisations and they wear those much like a, a Formula One race car driver has, you know, sponsorship logos right. all over their fire suit. That's the, what they have on their shirts. Right? They, they get a huge amount of money. The show itself is enormous in its setup. It's that you know that you have a concert style PA system, you have a concert style lighting system and pyrotechnic display. There is enormous cost associated with those sorts of things. You can't hold those events. There is no regional venue that is actually set up to hold these events in the style that they want that can actually do it. You Mm -hmm. think that's largely the key is that the regional events where they traditionally be held just don't have the don't have the equipment, the outfit, the facilities for this kind of event. Absolutely. And, and also from a safety perspective, you, know, the, you have to have an enclosed venue to set this up properly because you have to have ambulance, you have to have police, you have to have every single thing that you can possibly imagine that you might have for a rock show, for instance, has to be able to be set up. But they must have all those kind of facilities at your typical conventional rodeo. To a very, very small degree. degree. Yeah, okay. So tell me, where do they get these um, these bulls that are, that that get ridden? Where do these bulls where are these bulls sourced from? Well, to be honest, Kate, I don't know where they're sourced from. It it sounds as though they have a specific breeding program because I've been reading mm. their uh, animal welfare policy, and oh. they talk about the success of the types of bulls that are involved um, are specifically from a bucking bull breeding program. So right. the, these bulls are, are taken from city to city okay. to perform in these events. Oh, right. So they don't work on rotation. They don't do a show and get rotated out and new blood mm. brought in. It's the same bull gets That's right. dragged around They're the country. They're transported around. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, like yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I read the, the organisers, the P- PBR's animal welfare info sheet. Mm-hmm. I read it online. Um, and it was an amazing work because it sounds like those those bulls are like prized athletes and they have a life they live in the lap of luxury and w- what on earth are we concerned about of course because that, that i mean it that comes across like they are they really looked after and they they really emphasize how important it is to look after the bulls and why why would you damage one of your prized athletes so can you respond to that i mean is it just is this just a, a fantastic work of propaganda well, I mean, from our perspective, yes. I mean, of course they're going to say they have the utmost respect for these animals um, as much as they do for the riders because the livelihood is based on these animals, quote, unquote, performing. So tell me then, what, what, is, what, are, the, what are the concerns of the protesters that, that actually counter what's in those information sheets? Well, I guess the, the primary concern is that we don't believe that we have any right to use animals. Mm. Um, as a form of entertainment. These animals are not, again, quote-unquote, performing because they want to. Mm. They are coming out of those gates in a very agitated, highly frustrated state because somebody has actually got them to that position between Mm. the starting gate and the gate behind them, and it's very, very difficult to see what's happening there. They have a flank that is being, um, you know, increased in pressure around them a flank strap. A flank strap, right. correct. They have a rider that they would desperately like to get off their back. Mm. Um, and, and that's what the whole show is about. Right. Those gates open, that bull comes out bucking and putting on a good show. Um, it's interesting when you say that that shoot is covered, 
that's very key, isn't it? That it is. no one mm-hmm. can see what's happening just prior to mm-hmm. that gate yeah. being sprung open yep. and this bull raging out. And, and that's right. And I, I'm not specifically um, saying that this relates to PBR, but certainly in Animals Australia investigations with other um, rodeos, if you like, rough handling and the use of spurs are also things that have come up. Um, and, you know, it's just a fallacy for these organisers to say that these animals are treated, you know, like royalty, if you like. They don't want to perform. If they did, you wouldn't need mm. any of these things to uh, to motivate them, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. And, and what they seem to forget too is we've heard all these arguments before. We've seen mm. this propaganda before. We see it every year from the jumps racing industry, for mm-hmm. instance. There's no difference here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Right? And the potential an for catastrophic parallel. industry. Yeah, well, the yeah. potential mm-hmm. for catastrophic industry is just as high. And, in yeah. fact, this event last year when it moved to Adelaide, we saw one bull break a leg. I remember During that. the performance. I remember, yeah. And was highly distressed, obviously, course, in pain. It, yeah. that, that was an ex- extraordinarily awful circumstance. Mm. And they, the potential for that type of injury to those animals is extremely high. So what happened to that bull with the broken leg? Because it was a terrible break. Killed. Was mm. it? Straight then yep. and there. Killed. Yeah. End of story. Right. Yeah. It's Yeah, it was um, – the, the, the footage was gruesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me about the, the protest that you held yesterday. Out, was it outside the venue? Yes. At the gates? Mm-hmm. What kind of reception did you get there? I can't imagine. Reception the, from the, uh, the, the, the attendees? The punters, yeah, yeah. Well, it's colourful. Can, mm. we, can we say it was colourful? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you've got some background for us, Andy, because so you did this event last year. Yes. What happened last year when you did this event? When you when you protested out the front at the at the entrance. Okay, so we were um, stationed um, by the venue management, um, pretty much opposite where the main entrance is. Last year, um, we were asked to stay in a specific spot, which we did. Um, they provided um, a minimal amount of security, private security, mm-hmm. which they have. Um, but police were reasonably concerned, and and they had a number of members of Vicpol quite near us and talking to us during the whole time. Um, now, we were obviously, we had chanting, the Sanders sort of mm. thing, it would go on at a protest like this. Um, and uh, it was pouring down with rain. People might remember the then, if they can jog their memory on that December date, it was absolutely horrendous, the torrential mm. rain. Um, and one particular gentleman took exception to the fact more so than others. I mean, because a lot of these events you actually expect, you know, that you're going to have people who object to what you're saying. Mm. So they will yell insults, they'll do all those sorts of things. But generally speaking, people see a police presence, for instance, and they're not interested, they're going into the venue. This particular person didn't care, Um, came straight up to me. I had a a, a megaphone in hand. Uh, He grabbed the the rim of the megaphone, pulled it backwards and smashed it into my face, Um, two centimetre gash down the side of my nose and a slight break in the bridge of my nose. The thing was, I was standing right next to the senior sergeant at the time. Right. Um, <laughs> it was quite, quite comical afterwards because we're both trying to chase him down, you know, and I was obviously a lot more agile. I think that the poor old senior sergeant of the day had seen, you know, one too many cups of coffee and donuts perhaps, <laughs> to, you, know, to, you know, not wanting to stereotype, but he, he couldn't keep up. But, yeah, the, the, the gentleman was apprehended very quickly, um, admitted it completely. Um, it went to court. There were delays. Uh, several delays, they eventually got it shifted to Geelong. Um, I was asked to provide a victim impact statement, which I did. Um, 
and the result of which was that the gentleman received a, a guilty verdict without conviction because he was planning a holiday overseas with his family and they didn't want that to affect his ability to get a visa. So, OK, I don't hold his family responsible for his actions and I didn't see that I should ruin their lives and their expectations just because of the selfish actions of, of you know, the father figure of the family. That's very decent of you. Well, he was given a substantial fine, a quite substantial fine, yep. and a suspended sentence, which I believe from memory was three months. Mm. And he has to give me a letter of apology, which is due very soon. That'll be interesting. Very, oh, very interesting. Do share. Now, um, so you went back again Yesterday, which was very yes. brave because a lot of people after an incident like that would go, I'm over this, I'm not going back. But you went back. Well, you have to, you know. Yeah. You know? It, it, my wife always says to me, she says, look, if you're ever in doubt about what you're doing and, and why you're doing it, just stop for one moment and think, well, what would these animals want you to do? Mm. If they were able to speak our language and would be able to put, be put mm-hmm. in our position to fight for themselves, yeah. what would they do? And therefore, because they can't, what would they want you to do? She's a wise woman. Mm. Yeah, very wise. And very wise. So And so you thought about that and you said they'd want me to go back. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and to be more vocal than before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, turn it up. Yeah. <laughs> So you went back. Yes. And so what kind of response, What like, are, are the punters agitating you or agitated themselves as they go in or is it all just sort of a bit of a, just a process, like a, a mutual understanding that you're there and they're there? I think that is correct to a certain degree, but there are those that want to, they think that, that they want to sling some insults and they yeah. think that they have a win. Yeah. Look how smart I am yeah, because yeah. I said this. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and and it's just it's mm. it's ludicrous to think that that we're, that we're actually offended by what they might say. Mm. You know, we've got very thick skins. We've heard it all before. I mean, the classic "get a job" for crying out loud. <laughs> oh, no, <that's laughs> Seriously, I mean, it, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and. The, the venue did a number of things differently this year as well. They gave us an area initially that was a long way away from the actual venue itself and the gates right. that they'd fenced off, yep. and they were insisting that we be in there along with police. So, But we weren't going to have that, so we negotiated it to be closer, and then we paid no attention to that whatsoever. So they gave us a police cordon. <laughs> but we were stationed then right in front of, a, of an actual fenced-off area with security guards where these yeah. people were out smoking and drinking. Mm. So we sort of paraded in front of them a bit and I gave a speech in front of them which they didn't really appreciate. Mm. But so but you did you did a uh, I think a leafleting action earlier in the day? Yes. Uh, yes, where, at the Burke Street Mall. How was that received? Do you think it sort of did that give people some really good info about what these events actually absolutely, entail? Yeah. Absolutely. And so many people were uh, were surprised that A, these kinds of events still occur, yep. and B, there was one happening last night in Melbourne. Yeah, right. Oh, that's good. So that that action might have actually had more better results than the one actually outside the gates because your one, this one in Burke Street Mall actually had the information, whereas the one outside Absolutely. the gates didn't. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the protest outside um, the actual event was, I guess, to really you know voice our concerns and, you know, quite plainly state that we don't see any form of animal exploitation as entertaining. Yeah, of course. And did you get it? Is there anyone from Melbourne Cow Save or from AJP or any of the protesters, in fact, does anyone get into the stadium to actually observe the event? 
I believe that people did last year and also mm. in Adelaide, which is where the footage was leaked from. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. um, To my knowledge, so far, no one has done that this year. Okay. But mm. that's so far. Yeah, mm. someone yeah. might put their head up. So. Absolutely, yeah. And but, can I just say as well, just as a final thing on that from my perspective, the AJP obviously, it, we're, we're here to bring about legislation to better the lives of yeah. non-human animals, right? That's yeah. our main political focus and will always remain so. And consequently, and I, I and I announced this last night as well, should we be successful in winning a seat at any stage, we will be introducing legislation into the state of Victoria that will ban rodeos in all their forms across the state of Victoria. So these people that attend these events... And in particular, people like PBR, for instance, who spend a lot of money, and if mm. they've already booked next year, maybe they should think about trying to get their money back. Mm. Yeah. So what happens now that this, this event is finished? Are you going to follow this PBR circuit? What? We will be speaking with our people in Adelaide, at, at, at AJP in Adelaide, about mm-hmm. what they might do okay. in terms of protest as well. Okay, mm. great. Now, um, we don't have... I'd like to talk some more about this, but we've, we're really running out of time rapidly. Mm-hmm. But we've got a couple of minutes just to hear from you, Andy, about the election, mm. the, the, mm. the election what, a yes. week or two ago, which was, I mean, the AJP did a, a, an amazing performance the, yeah. across the board. Yeah. But you in particular, well, well, you kicked some major goals. And I know it's not fin- – they're still counting yeah. and there's still announcements to be made and there's still all the finer details to be worked out. But can you just give us a – like? Ooh, really quick. A really like a minute's <laughs> update? Yep. Fantastic effort by all our lower house candidates. We had a number of them achieve 4% of vote across the board, some over 6 and some over 7%, which is unheard of for a party that, that focuses where, where ours is. It's fantastic and it shows that people are taking animal rights and, and the lives of animals more seriously than you know, our other politicians would care, care to, 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 to admit to. And secondly, we are in a position to take um, one of the, the, the five seats in the western region of Victoria in the upper house. Again, it is early days. There's 60, just over 62% of the count um, done um, on a recheck, and we wait for the remainder. And we okay. may still be waiting for at least another 10 days. You're, you're in the hands of the VEC, really. Okay. Um, we're hopeful and, and, you know, that's about all I can say because it's, we're very, very nervous. It's a very odd feeling being back at work, for instance, you know, in the last week and wondering if there's about to be a significant change in what yeah, I'm about, about to be about doing. To change. Yeah, that means that you'd become, <laughs> if, if, if you do get this seat, you'll become, it'll be your full-time job. Absolutely. you become a full-time parliamentarian. Yeah. And, and, wow. Yeah. And, and just finally on that, this is not just, this is not my effort. This is a culmination of the effort of all the people mm. in the Western Regional Group and indeed the AJP across the state. We've all been working so hard for this for so long and it's not down to one individual, you know, going around and making speeches and this sort Kissing of stuff. Kissing babies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it really is about, you know, a lot of hard work and a lot of heartache along the way as well. It was a really active group. I've, I, I sort of watched them on the social media at the mm. very least mm. and it's an incredible team of people mm. doing amazing definitely. stuff together. Yeah, definitely. And I'd like to in particular pay particular tribute to our national president, Bruce Poon, because he has had this vision all along and he has guided us into this position. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Bruce. And thank you, Andy, for what an amazing accomplishment. Even if it, even if the ultimate doesn't come through, it's still it's, it's an amazing result yeah. for the whole of the AJP. And yeah. um, it's only going to get bigger each election. You know, I, I haven't seen any small party like this just grow so quickly in terms of its successes. And that's what's so exciting. It is yeah. very, very exciting. So exciting. That's all for today. 
You can email us at info at freedomspecies.org and you can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much to Andy Maddock and Carolyn Hartley for coming in today. It's been lovely having you in the studio. Always like to have kind, lovely people in the studio. And I'm going to leave you with another Dakota Ring song. This one's called Somersault. See you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.